<clears throat> okay, recording. You have a story to tell, and maybe you've thought, I should start a podcast. Meet Anchor. It's a powerful app that lets you record a podcast anywhere and get it heard everywhere. All you need to do is download the free Anchor app and hit record. Just go to anchor.fm slash get started. Your story matters. Make a podcast with Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash get started. Great. I think we got it. What's up, guys? Welcome to podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter. You're joined by Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, Solomon. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. So I brought you on because leading up to the James Harden trade, we had several podcasts theorizing what the deal was going to look like and what Houston's return would be. Well, the trade's obviously done. So let's start here. Was this return anything like you thought it'd be? And did Houston make the right deal? I think the return is what I envisioned it being if they were going to uh, pull off a deal with the Nets. And I just wasn't expecting that to happen because I thought even if you're shorting the Nets' future, that it was incredibly risky to you know take on what are middling assets in Karis LeVert and Jared Allen. And then they end up not doing that. Um, the, the decision that's going to fascinate me the most, though, because I think you can argue that shorting the Nets' future is fine. I mean, you have picks that are, go out until like 2050 at this point, but actually 2027. That's a that's a huge deal in itself, but you effectively decided that Victor Oladipo was more valuable to you than Karis LeVert in a second-round pick. Um, I understand the decision with Jared Allen. They got a first for that, and he was about to get paid, and they have Christian Wood there. But the LeVert stuff specifically, and I know he's out right now dealing with the mass on his kidney, I just, with how Victor Oladipo was played... Um, quad flaring up here and there. I question whether they can get as much as Karis LeVert in a second round pick for him at the trade deadline. And that's what makes it so weird. And I don't think if you're Houston, maybe you disagree that you want to find yourself in a situation where you have to pay Oladipo, I'll say near max money this summer, just because so many stars have come off the market and there's going to be a lot of cap space floating around in free agency. There are going to be teams that are just itching to do something. And Victor Oladipo is probably as of right now, if, you know, let's assume Drew Holiday signs an extension in Milwaukee. Is Drew Holiday like probably one of the five best free agents still hitting the market? Probably, yeah. I mean, I, the free agent class is just decimated by all these extensions. So um, I'll put it this way. I think if Oladipo's contract wasn't what it was, they would not have traded for Oladipo. They would have just taken Oliver. And I guess we'll talk about that in a little bit. I, I want to put it on the back burner real quick because I want to talk about the picks. So the basic structure of this deal – and the picks was leaked out before it was it was actually made. Uh, like I think Shums uh, was the first person to tweet it, and I and I thought this is better than the Philly offer. Like Houston has to take this deal because I never envisioned them offering four and four. Like I thought it was going to be a three and three situation, and I thought they'd be lightly protected. They offered four first round picks and four pick swaps, all unprotected, and I was like. I just thought it was ridiculous to turn that down. And Houston might be able to flip that down the road, even if they're middling picks. I thought it was a good deal. I mean, obviously, you're, you're going to you're gonna lose the James Harden trade either way, right? Because you're trading. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know where, where you have him. I, I think he's one of the 25 greatest players of all time. 
um, and I, he's in the middle of his prime, and you're always going to lose that deal. But did you feel the same way, or were you someone who always thought, if Ben Simmons is on the table, that's the best trade on the market? I would have defaulted to Ben Simmons being the, the best offer on the table. Maybe that means, I mean, we had a conversation about this on Twitter, or you sent, like, Rockets fans into my mentions when I tweeted something that I wouldn't give up Ben Simmons in a James Harden trade if I was the Sixers, which I think James Harden's probably close to top 25 all time, like you do, and certainly one of the 15 greatest offensive players of all time for sure. Uh, I just feel like Ben Simmons is a known quantity that is now still under team control for the next four years and super young, and that's so valuable because we tend to romanticize these these future draft picks, and uh, I know that the Nets are in such a shaky position where James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie can all become free agents after next year. And so this thing could really turn be turned upside down um, by 2022, in which case that will look great. But if those guys stay healthy, um, if they resign, like this Nets team is probably going to be really good at least, I would say, for the next like three or four years. So I understand the logic here, but I'm of the mind that Ben Simmons, even as a flawed player, is still top 20 right now. And to have someone like that who's just so young and gives you a launching point for the rebuild, which you don't really have right now, not tangibly. You have these picks, which is great, but you don't have that tangible launching point for a rebuild. Um, I would value that certainty over this pick haul. That being said, as you mentioned, the fact that all of the Nets um, picks directly, uh, which I think total between swaps and picks are, are seven, and then they had that unprotected pick coming from Milwaukee in 2022, they're, they're certainly enticing. And it's a lot, I guess you could argue it's definitely a lot closer than either of us could have ever imagined it being where we thought that Philly could have blown the Nets offer out of the water easily. And I still think, you know, if they were going to attach anything to Ben Simmons, like if it was Tyrese Maxey and a pick or something, that's still, that might be an easier offer for me to accept still. I think that's where the haggle point was, right? Like Tyrese Maxey seemed to be the, the what Houston wanted. And, you know, if you the, six, the Sixers weren't willing to put that on the table. And in the end, they just decided to default the Brooklyn offer. Um, do you, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but do you buy into the notion that Houston was kind of just messing around with Philly because Daryl Morey was there and that Tillman Fertitta was never going to make that deal? No, I, I really do think that, you know, the, the Tillman Fertitta stuff with Daryl, it's, I, I think it's real, but I think when you, when you, when you really break it down, the front office structure that Houston has is, Tillman really doesn't have that much control out of everything except for the pay. So yeah, he he does make financial decisions, and once they make major moves, they 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 go to him in the end, obviously. But really, Patrick Fertitta is the guy in Houston's own in Houston's front office that gets sent down for these these major decisions. I I don't think Till I don't think Tillman had anything to do with the James Harden trade at all. I I, th- I think he was just operating out of, as someone. Who just wanted a good deal? I think if you're Raphael Stone too, there's one the level of job security that comes with sort of stripping down the offer to just picks because it gives you more runway to rebuild. And um, so now he has you know maybe he has longer job security because he can point to and say like, hey, we didn't get Ben Simmons, we can't be ready to be super competitive anytime soon. And now you have Victor Oladipo on expiring contract. If you move him or just don't resign him, that's sort of the in the same direction. Um, so I could, I, I definitely think it's arguable that you could just say this is the package that you would prefer. Um, just looking at their roster, as I'm sure we'll get into, I don't like have an inclination of whether they're going to strip it down at some point, whether that's the goal or what, like what they're planning on doing here, because they're just very much 
in that gray in between zone right now. Right. And it should also be pointed out that like Sean Marks has done a really good job building competitive rosters without draft picks. So, uh, this idea that, you know, once a team gets stripped of draft picks, they just have no way to get better. I mean, Sean Marks is one of the general managers in the league. That's, that's shown that's just not true. You know, there are, there are definitely ways to find talent on the fringes and, and be really competitive, really scrappy. And, you know, for a while there, the, the Nets were just knocking on the door of the playoffs, right? And that's because of the roster he put together. And I don't, I, I have a, I have a degree of skepticism that they'll be, that all these picks will be, you know, mid twenties or high third, you know, it'll be, it'll be 30 or mid twenties or whatever. I think there's going to be at least some of these picks in the lottery, but you're right. Like, like this was a hard decision. I don't think it was a, um, you know, a home run either way. Like I, I thought, if if it were if it were me, I think I value just the picks being far out like this, and I think it, the picks are just liquid money, right? Like you could you could use these picks in other trades, and I think that's kind of what Houston has in mind. If it doesn't work out, if if these picks end up being you know mediocre, and they decide you know what, like there's a star on the market right now that we can go chase, then they can go use these picks. Yeah, you still sort of need some of them to look like that crown jewel, though. And I think you're probably right. staring at 220, uh, 2025 and beyond is like really the, you know, those final three, um, like total of picks and swaps where if you want to trade for a star or even if you want to, you know, move up really high in a, in a draft, um, you need those to look great. And I guess as of now they do, but I, I'd be curious to see how the value of those is impacted by one, what the Nets do this season and next. And then if all of those guys, Resign, uh, because you would think that again, maybe it gets ugly at some point, but is it wild to think that this core of Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant can be really good for a minimum of three to four years? Uh, I don't think it is just looking at the, the offensive talent there. And, you know, you mentioned Sean Marks. I totally agree with you, but that, that ability is going to be put to the test now because they need defense bad and they have no means of getting it other than, like you said, finding gems on the margins. This is just my opinion. Like, I don't think Kyrie is long for Brooklyn. I guess that's, I guess that's a hot take. I'm not sure. Like, I, I, I just, I, I look at their team and I look at what they need and I look at the draft picks are out and I feel like the obvious move here is to move Kyrie for defensive pieces and to get some picks back because they need something in their war chest to keep improving the roster at every trade deadline. And right now they just don't have that. And the only way they can get that is Kyrie. And I, and you know, maybe they don't make that move now. Maybe they decide we're going to try going for it this year with this core. And if it doesn't work out, we can make that trade this summer. But I don't know what you, I don't know about you. I feel like it's the obvious move and it's just a matter of when. I think if you were going to do that, you needed to figure out a way to do it as part of the James Harden trade because if you do it this summer, you're effectively moving him as an expiring contract. And I don't know who's giving up value for him. And I think if you're Brooklyn too, you do need to value the fact that he's kind of your bridge into the next era if you want this to be a long-term thing because he is only 28, whereas James Harden and Kevin Durant are a few years older. And so if you want this thing to last deep into the back end of Kevin Durant and James Harden's careers, Kyrie Irving is the guy that can do that for you. And I also just don't know what do you move Kyrie Irving for? Like there could be defensive minded players available, but you're, you're not going to get Rudy Gobert for him just because Utah probably figures that if they made this move over the off season, Kyrie is just going to leave um, when he hits free agency um, that there's no doubt in my mind that they would think along those lines. 
And then you get into the conversations of sort of these worse players and it's, well, then are the Nets willing to accept draft equity back or can it be this goulash of, of role players? And I just don't know that you could justify moving what, who, excuse me, at his peak is probably a top 15, 20 guy in Kyrie Irving for all just the, the enigmatic, enigmatic stuff we see from him, um, both on the court and, and off the court. So, um, that's just something that I, I'd be curious to see what the offers on, I would have to see, excuse me, what the offers on him would be this summer, uh, because I, I don't know what you necessarily move him for. Like, you know, would you move Kyrie Irving for Clay Thompson? Like, would Golden State even do that when they already have Stephen Curry? I just don't even know what names, but as you know as well as I do, so much of the NBA when it comes to trades is just stuff that you can't even fathom coming out of, out of the woodwork. But I'd be, I'd be a little bit surprised if the Nets go down, down that path just because I don't think the value coming in will ever equal, um, the player that they're, giving out. I guess he would have to become very disenchanted with um, James Harden and Kevin Durant. And I also think what's been understated here is I know it's early, but James Harden seems to be reveling in sort of the, the point guard role with Irving and Durant, even though they haven't played a ton of time together. And then he's getting his minutes. Like he's the guy they're they're basically staggering and saying, you're going to play with the reserves a ton. And so that seems like a dynamic that might be able to sustain. And if it does to the point where Kyrie Irving isn't necessarily your number three option, or it feels like there's a there are co-number two options. I think that makes it easier to to placate all of these guys over the, the longer haul. All of that said, Kyrie Irving is such an enigma. I don't know, you know, no one expected him to leave Boston at one point until the end of that that final season. No one really knew. They talked about it in league circles and there were whispers about it, but like it wasn't full on knowledge that he wanted out of Cleveland. Like that was a championship caliber situation that he just decided to leave. So I guess anything goes when it comes to Kyrie. I, I, I'm just looking at, I'm looking at the roster. Obviously, they'll be able to find pieces in free agency, but just this season, you know, they have a playoff run to go compete right now. In terms of adding defense, I don't see a path, you know, out there right now unless they tr- unless they move one of their big pieces. Now, obviously, I don't would think you do, they're. Would you do Kyrie Irving for Jimmy Butler? In a heartbeat, but I don't think that's that's going to be offered to them. <laughs> like, I think well, Jimmy Butler is way better. <laughs> Well, he's more just defensively what they need and isn't, I don't think he cares about touches as much. And then if you look at Miami, it's like, you know, Jimmy's a little bit older. He's going to have to, he's going to enter free agency in 2022. That would just be funny if that, it won't because like Jimmy is like better Miami's identity. Like that's, well, he's better. I think he's the better player. I mean, not this season, actually. Kyrie Irving has been decidedly better than Jimmy Butler, but, um, like Jimmy Butler typifies everything about Miami, but that's like, it would have to be something on that level where if it's not then like the big man plus stuff, uh, it would have to be like a, a really super high end star wing. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Um, so let's talk about the team that I cover. Should we, shall we? Um, so it's pretty clear that Houston is going to try to field a competitive roster this season because they have every incentive to, uh, they'll be taking home the worst of Miami OKC and their own first round pick this year. And if they maintain a record that's close to Miami, that swap hurts a little less. I guess my question is, like, moving forward, what should they try to do? Because they only have two years in which they can tank, and then after that, OKC controls their draft future. If you're them, are you tearing this roster down to get as many first-round picks as you can this summer? Or would you try and stay competitive? I would tear it down. Um, I, it could be a year-by-year basis thing where you look at the West this season. I don't really think there's a door for them to do anything too special. And so why not try to tear it down and see, I think the swap is top four protected, right? If I'm not mistaken. Right. 
So that would be, you know, the lottery odds are a mess, but if you can give yourself a chance of keeping that pick, now you've given yourself a springboard for the rebuild and you could try being good as early as next season. Um, to that end though, what does stripping down this roster really look like at this point? I guess is the, the question. I don't think you move Christian Wood. Um, and I, once he's healthy, I don't think that he necessarily harms your or helps your team so much that you can't tank. But it's like, you look at some of these other names, you're not just going to move John Wall. Yeah, you can move PJ Tucker, you can move Daniel House, that'll be super easy. I'm sure they're getting a ton of calls about Jason Tate at the moment. But like, if you have Eric Gordon, John Wall, and a healthy Christian Wood at some point, let's say that's what you're left with, without really benching them for, you know, probably multiple of those guys, like there's still a chance that you um, end up with, you know, top eight lottery odds or something. And yeah, there's still a chance that you jump up into the top four. But it's there's a weird opportunity cost here. I think at minimum you would need to have like Eric Gordon would have to go along with PJ Tucker and whoever else you want. And where really the only core players right now that you're keeping would be John Wall and um, Christian Wood, just because I, I don't view Wall could probably be moved. I just don't think he's readily movable. And then I, I think Christian Wood is just such a good compliment, and I like his contract that you should probably just try and hold on to him. This episode is brought to you by Cox Home Life. Cox helps make your home smarter and your life easier. And now you can use your Contour voice remote to connect to your home life cameras so you can view them right on your TV screen using simple voice commands. That makes it easy to keep tabs on what's happening around your home right from your couch. Need to keep an eye on the kids when they're playing outside? Just say, show me my backyard camera into your Cox voice remote and watch them while you're in the house. If you're waiting for a delivery and want to make sure it's there on time, no problem. Say, show me my driveway camera to check on it with your Home Life HD cameras on the TV screen while you go about your day. When you live in a home powered by Cox Internet, you can stay connected to what matters and let Cox take care of the rest. To learn more about all the benefits of your connected home, visit cox.com slash this is home. Yeah, and I don't think they're going to trade, they're going to tear it down this season up, to be clear. Like, I, I just don't think, like, first of all, they've already won too many games to, at that point to, to go to full on tank and try to get down to the bottom four. Like, if you get down to the bottom four in record, like, you have like a 48% chance to actually get a, keep that top four pick. Right. It, it's not worth it, right? Like, at that point, it's just like, try to stay, stay neck and neck with Miami in record and you get to, you know, the, the pick swap doesn't hurt as much. Right. Like, obviously, if you if you're if you have the best record of those three, you get to keep your own pick. But I don't I don't expect Miami to be this bad. I think they're going to get much better. And I think they'll eventually surpass Houston in record. And at that point, you just got to stay neck and neck with them. So the pick so the drop off isn't that bad. I think that's your best case scenario this year. And it's interesting because, you know, you were talking through it. And I I think we both came to the same conclusion. I think they may be forced to try and stay competitive because I think it's going to be really hard to move a contract like John Wall, as you said. And some of these pieces are pretty young and exciting. I don't think they'll want to trade them. Like Jay Sean Tate and Christian Wood are both under 25 years old. Just by virtue of those of having those guys, I think they'll be too good to tank, but not good enough to compete. And I think they end up having to follow the old Rockets manual here on this one where they trade marginal role players at every trade deadline that are more valuable to other teams than they are to them, like PJ Tucker, Daniel Howes, and eventually Eric Gordon. And all the while trying to keep that core of Wall, Wood, and Tate intact until the next superstar becomes available via trade. The question then becomes, what do you do with Victor Odebo this summer? 
because I remain skeptical that Houston is going to sign him to his max. And at the same time, I think he's going to demand a max for the things we were talking about at the top of the podcast. Like the free agent market is barren. He's probably one of the better players available left. And I guess from your perspective, what is Victor Odipo's market? Do you think he gets his max this summer? Because I, I feel... Oh, because I feel like Gordon Hayward kind of broke my brain this summer in terms of what to expect <laughs> from these kinds of players, but I don't know. Well, Gordon Hayward is playing better than Victor Oladipo is right now. I think what helps um, Oladipo is that he was playing well in Indiana for the most part, but if Oladipo doesn't really find a groove offensively for a, a longer stretch of time in Houston, that really hampers his value. And I, I guess in his market, there'll be teams with cap space, and it only takes one, and there'll be more than one team for Victor Oladipo. But I don't see any of the teams impending with cap space that are like, oh, we need to max out Victor Oladipo. Miami doesn't even have max money as of right now. They could get there or close to it, but after extending Bam Adebayo, you're not going to jump through all these hoops to get Victor Oladipo. He's not Giannis Antetokounmpo. So I don't think he gets the max, but he's going to be paid. And I don't know that that'll necessarily end up being a good contract just because of how inconsistent he has been since his All-NBA season, plus you factor in that that quad injury, whatever he does end up getting though is more than I think Houston should want to pay him because they're not good enough to justify rolling the dice there, in my opinion. And then whatever deal he signs, if it's four years, let's say that's not, you know, no deal is immovable, but like, it's not going to be necessarily eminently movable um, right off the bat. So you're, you're taking a chance. And if you're not concerned, I guess, about being good, perhaps you can justify it that way. At the same time, now you're just having this, massive contract collecting dust on your ledger where he doesn't align with your timeline and he's not living up to it necessarily. So if I was Houston, even if it ends up you have to cut your losses where you look back and say, oh, we rather would have had Karras Levert, even knowing that he might not play again this season, um, I would move him. And I don't know where you land on that, but I would absolutely move him before the trade deadline. Yeah, I was, I was gonna, this is gonna be my next question. Like, cause zooming back out, let's talk about their immediate future and the upcoming trade deadline, uh, which is next month. Uh, for the purposes of this podcast, let's ignore what Rafael Stone said at his last, his last press conference, because I know he said that the Rockets will be aggressive in using their trade exceptions they got from the Harden trade. I personally think that's posturing. Uh, that would involve them paying the luxury tax, which I don't think they'll do, especially for this specific team. Uh, let's assume the logical thing and say that they're going to be sellers, right? Uh, the Rockets have a few players that I think will have a market, specifically PJ Tucker, Victor Oladipo, and Daniel House. Uh, I was asked this question on a podcast this morning, and I thought it was pretty good, so I'll flip, flip it back around uh, to you. What, Which of those three players have the most trade value, and which do you think is most likely to get traded? I think most likely to get traded would be P.J. Tucker, just because I think he fits anywhere. And while he's shooting, I think over the past four games, like negative 5% from three or whatever it is, um, he just still what he can do defensively and on the right team, just knock down those corner threes still. Um, that's a big deal to a contender this season. And so I think, and his salary is just so tiny. Um, I know he makes more than Daniel House, but it's also like under $8 million, which is a, which is contenders can afford that because they're normally just light on, um, medium priced salary fodder. Like that seems to be where a lot of contenders, contenders struggle to put together packages. When you're looking at the most valuable, it's clear that Victor Oladipo just has the, the highest ceiling, but I would just wonder because He's under contract. Um, 
excuse me, for another season after this at under four million. Is it Daniel House where you can envision him hitting a higher clip of his threes in a better situation just based off what we saw in the two previous seasons here? And he's someone who can, you know, adequately get you defense against three different um positions when he's in your your rotation. That would be a guy that I'm actually surprised we haven't heard his name more. I think Tucker and Oladipo and even Eric Gordon, they're just like the the sexier headline grabbing names, but he would be the guy that I'd be more interested in because everyone wants these, you know, quote unquote, three and D wings. And while I don't think he actualizes that to a T, um, he comes pretty damn close and his price point is remarkably low. Dirt cheap, dirt cheap. Yeah. And, and that, that's why I included him because I think his value is going to be pretty good. Um, with PJ Tucker, it's interesting because as you said, like at the start of the year, I think you could have, you could say with some confidence that he would net back Houston a first round pick. And He's starting to show signs of decline on both ends of the floor. Like when he pops defensively, it's noticeable, which means it's not happening all the time. And he's shooting three balls so poorly since January, and he's 35 years old. I think Houston may end up taking a deal that gets them back like two seconds at this point. Like what's your feel on that? Can Houston actually get back a first? I would be shocked if they got a first. And I also saw that. ESPN's Brian Windhorst said they wanted three seconds for him. And unless, you know, some of those seconds are like top 50 protected or something stupid, I don't, I don't really envision a scenario there. They could, I guess what they could in theory do is take back some bad money. You know, you expand the deal. Maybe it's Tucker and Daniel House. Maybe it's a Tucker Oladipo deal, depending on the team. And you could take back some unsavory money that's equal in immediate value, but stretches out longer. And then maybe you get a first round pick that way or a better collection of seconds or some type of prospect. But I've scoured, you know, the NBA for teams and there are a ton of them that could use PJ Tucker, but I just don't know who's giving up the, the first round pick for him. It feels like this is going to be more of a, a two second round pick situation. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, so going back to Odipo, because I personally feel like they want to play, I want, they want to play the year out with Odipo and see what happens this summer. And I think that's why they traded for him. Like they like the flexibility with, with this contract situation. And if they get a team friendly deal this summer, they'll keep him. And if they don't, I think they value having a max slot open every year from this moment forward because of their situation. They're in a, they're a rebuilding team. They want to have that space open. And there, there is a scenario where I could see them trading O Depot. Um, that, that would involve them getting back expiring contracts. That's pretty much the only situation I could see them trading Odipo. Like, I think any deal that they do, they have to get back expiring contracts. For example, like, they could trade him to the Knicks for, like, Kevin Knox, Austin Rivers, and fill in the blank, along with, like, a first-round pick. I don't think they're, they're going to include the Dallas first-round pick, obviously. Uh, and that might be enough for them. Um, that's kind of where I see Odipo's market. I, if they're not willing to take back, I didn't even think of that, that maybe they don't want to take back longer term salary. Cause other, otherwise, why they, why they, you know, not just keep Levert, right? Like, my, my yeah. only guess there would be they thought they could get more than a Levert and a second round pick for Oladipo. And the way Oladipo has played since being there and then people being concerned about his quad, that would have backfired. So yeah, I, I guess there's something to that. But if you're only willing to accept expiring money, I'd argue that really diminishes the possible return there. Like, can, would you do, you know, at that point, let's use Dallas as an example, because some of these teams too, you're, you're dealing with, they're going to be a Miami, a New York, a Dallas, 
um, even a Toronto, they're all going to have cap space this summer. And we know Oladipo is a flight risk because he was asking other players if he could join their teams while he was with the Pacers last year. I have no doubt in my mind. That <laughs> we that talked about that on this podcast. Like we, t- like that, that happened. And I, I read that on my phone and I just asked you to confirm like that, 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 that I was such a crazy situation that he was actually doing that. Like was this in the bubble, right? This happened in the bubble. I think he was asking people if he could join their team while inside the bubble. Right, and he denies it, but I think Jay Michael of the Indianapolis Star put it best. Victor Oladipo is, was as loyal to the Pacers as his options. And I don't know why he would be any more loyal to Houston. I guess that they're willing to give him max money this summer, but again, you don't want to be in that situation. And so if you're dealing with a team, let's say Dallas as an example, because they have that large expiring in James Johnson, like, are you doing Victor Oladipo for James Johnson, their 2025 pick? And I don't even know what else you're getting from them in that. Can you get Tyrell Terry? Maybe. Can you get, um, you know, the, oh my God, why am I blanking on the, the wing defender there who's been, um, very interesting? Josh, Josh Green. I don't know why I couldn't remember his name there for a second. Like, is that a package you're doing if you're Houston? Because I do think that, you know, unless you're trading him to a team that doesn't have cap space this summer and sees real value in having his bird rights, I don't think you're going to get a heck of a lot for him. Fair enough. I mean, perhaps they decide maybe we can take a haircut on that deal. My, my only point is they are not taking back any sort of salary that involves them matching that Oladipo contract. I just don't think that there's, there's no way. I, I would be really surprised if they decide to, to match that money. And if, the, if they do, I mean, I think it might just be better for them to just let, let the contract expire and let them, let the mistake be the mistake. Like, you took you took a flyer on him. It didn't work out. You know, just take the space. I'd be curious, like, what is the bad deal, though, that a team is going to try and pawn off on them anyway? Um, just because it's so hard, I think, to find no-brainer suitors for him. And when you even come up with any, like, are there any teams that have these truly bad deals that they're going to be looking to pawn off on Phoenix while picking up Victor Oladipo? I would... I don't really think so. So, but yeah, I mean, if it's, if you have to take on a ton of money that you're not comfortable with, I would agree that rather than just trading him for the sake of trading him, you let the mistake be the mistake and and take the flexibility when he leaves in free agency. So I guess moving forward with John Wall. So you said that you don't see a market for him this season, right? I mean, just to be clear, I, I don't see one either, but, but is that what you said? Yeah, and I mean, he's, look, he's looked like he's moving fine post Achilles injury. So that's absolutely great, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Who wants to pay John Wall $90 million over the next two years? No, I agree. I agree. So I guess my next question is, do you see him ending his contract in Houston? No. I, I You know, maybe he plays through next season, but we get to a point where now if he's on an expiring contract that's worth $47-plus million, um, they can be willing to take him. Maybe at that point, you know, they're looking at the, the Nets picks that are coming down the pipeline, and maybe that's when they're, like, really deciding to rebuild or reset, and they can take on a deal that extends a year or two um later than walls and they're going to get more assets for that but i think what we've seen with all these deals is that if the player on them is a household name who is not part of your future the odds of them finishing their deal there are just overwhelmingly slim and so i'd say the same thing about russell westbrook in washington i'll be surprised if he finishes his contract there um but i do my guess would be especially if you think that houston is going to be just very conservative with how it structures his long-term books. My guess would be that he's in Houston through at least next season, unless again, they're taking back just a a deal that extends longer. 
I think the first chance that they may deal him will be next trade deadline. I, I don't think they, they will trade him this offseason. Obviously, I don't think they're going to trade him at this deadline. I think the first chance that they'll, they'll start exploring offers will be the next deadline. And at that point, you know, another year will come off the contract. I think it'll be easier to salvage for a team. Um, and I totally agree. I, I, I can't see a situa- situation in which he ends his contract in Houston. Once you get closer to the end of the contract, you, I think there's going to be teams that, that with the point guard needs, specifically teams in contention mode. Now, I don't know. You, it's really hard to look at the market right now because a lot of their, a lot of these teams solve their needs this summer, right? Like the Bucks traded for Drew Holiday. Um, and, um, the Suns traded for Chris Paul. Like a lot of these teams figured out what they needed at point guard, but that's not necessarily going to be the case, uh, in a year or two, right? And I think at that point, there may be a, an off, there may, there may be a market for John Wall. I think a lot of it too depends on what is he, how does he play over the next year? Um, he's shooting 55 plus percent on drives this season. Um, probably taking still, uh, you know, there's the value proposition of him taking three pointers when he's shooting like 31% or whatever it is. Like that's a conversation that, that absolutely needs to be had. So if, if he can up that a little bit, um, and he's able to stay healthy, like maybe there's a team that's like, you know, in Washington situation where they're not going to bag, um, someone who's great. They're not necessarily going to be a title contender, but can they roll the dice? They did it with Russell Westbrook and say, well, he elevates our ceiling this season and we're only going to have him, um, you know, this runs counter to it because they're going to have Russell Westbrook for two more years after this one, um, unless they move him. But if Wall has a year or just, you know, a year and a half of its next trade deadline, um, the mistake, if it's a mistake, will be short-lived, but our ceiling is maybe not that of a title contender, but it, it extends higher. Is he the difference between us getting into the playoffs and being in the lottery, the difference between us winning a playoff series and getting bounced in the first round? There's always a team out there that could sort of fall into that situation. And I, I don't, again, that's hard to look out a year from now and decide which team the, that would be anyway. But I think situations like that are always sort of cropping themselves up. Yeah, maybe it's the Lakers or the Clippers, you know, who knows. Um, it's, it, it, it's really, really tough. It, it, again, like predicting what the market's going to look like in a year is just impossible because a lot of these teams are just aren't going to look the same, right? I threw out the Clippers as a joke because I'm not even sure if the, if the Clippers are going to look the same in a year from now. And it's one of those things where like, I think, I think right now Houston's okay having him on the roster because again, they're not paying the luxury tax anyway, so who cares? It's not, it's not real, it's not like it's going to hurt you financially by much. Uh, yes, it's, it, it's not fun having that contract on the books, but he's a really exciting player. Once you can bring crowds into arenas, which I, I, apparently Houston's allowing like 2,000 people into the Toyota Center, I think that's too much. Um, once they allow, uh, you know, a normal amount like 15 to 20,000 people a, a game, uh, he will be he will be an attractive piece to go watch, and I think it doesn't hurt. It really it really doesn't to have him on the books and then extend his trade value. I think his as time goes on, his value is only going to go up if he stays healthy. That's a big if, but if he stays healthy, um, I think I think our team might bite, as you said. Well, and here's the other thing that it has to be viewed through um, this lens is that they won the deal with the Russell Westbrook trade as of right now. Like the, Russell Westbrook has been in I don't know how much of it's the ill effects of, you know, him recovering from from COVID. He's been injured this year, but there's the level of waning athleticism with him and maybe John Walls is somehow preserved longer because he was on the shelf for such an extended period of time basically for 2 years dealing with his own injury problems, but as of right now, just based off availability, the way that they've played and that they got another asset 
in return, they won that deal. And so if you were going to have Westbrook on the books anyway, John Wall at almost identical money, um, that's the rosier scenario right now. Yeah, I I did not see this working out as well as good as it did for them. Like I, I honestly you laughed at me on this podcast, I think, or maybe it was mine. I can't remember. We recorded so many podcasts at one point together. I said, "Why not just swap these point card problems?" And you thought that was an absolute joke. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I I did not think John Wall would look this good. Like I I really didn't. Like I thought John Wall, like coming off an Achilles injury would not be this fast, would not be this explosive, would not be getting to the rim as consistently as he is, and he's looked amazing. I mean, obviously, he's no Chris Paul, but he is trading Russell Westbrook for him, in a nutshell, is a win for Houston, and the fact that they got back a protected first-round pick. Like, that, like I, I always viewed this trade as like, okay, they're doing this for the first-round pick, and it ended up being they did this for John Wall in the first-round pick because I think they can get, get further value from John Wall out of this. Right, if they do end up trading him in a year or two, um, and, I would be skeptical that they can get net positive or neutral value necessarily for him. It, de- it depends on the timing of the team, obviously. But they oh, you think, made you, out. You, you think they're going to dump him? Not that. Well, look, John Wall at forty-seven. What is he making in the final year of his deal again? Forty-seven point three million. Um, what are you? Who's like? Who's giving you value for that again? If you're taking on a bad contract, maybe that's how you get net positive value in theory. For him, um, as of right now, though, I don't even think you need to justify it that way because they have that protected first round pick and they have the better player. There's, I don't, you look at just the immediate outlooks for both of these guys, and given how Russell Westbrook st- struggled to begin last season and then to close in the bubble and then for most of this season, why wouldn't you think that John Wall is going to have the better two plus years as opposed to Russell Westbrook? Yeah, I mean, it certainly looks that way right now. Uh, it's. The Russ situation is just so depressing. I don't, I don't want to think about it anymore. It's like I, I watched I watched Washington a couple of days ago, and it just made me so sad. Like just wa- just watching just watching what Westbrook. I, I think he's going to be better than this. To be clear, I, I like what he's been at the early start of the season. Like you know, watching. To be fair, sorry, in his last seven games, he's shooting 39% from three, um, you know, I think over 50% on his twos, not hitting his free throws, which is sort of weird. So he might be better this season, um, right. but it does seem like there's more risk caked in with him than there is for John Wall at this point, as wild as that sounds. Yeah, and, and, and Washington missed two weeks, right, because of the weird COVID stuff, and they kept getting their games postponed. So Westbrook could never really get a rhythm. So I think you know I'll give him a little bit of a pass. It's just it's just so depressing. It's really depressing, and I I, I hope it turns around for them because again, like Washington Wizards fans are awesome. Like they're so self deprecating, and they they understand what they where they are as a franchise, and they you know they're they're really you know. They have a good sense of humor about it, and I and I don't wish I don't wish them poorly. I want them to do well. I want them to get out of this, uh, and it's just depressing that this trade ended up as badly as it did for them. Right. I mean, as as divisive a figure as Russ has always been, like he has still been an incredibly impactful player. And there have been situations where it, his fit is questionable. Do you need to tailor the roster directly to his knees? Does he dominate the ball too much? He was still a, his he's a really good player. Uh, so it's sad whenever you see like sort of. This doesn't feel like a gradual drop off if this holds. It's just he fell off a cliff and you really do hate to see that if that's the case, but it might not be the case. You know, if we fast forward two months from now or maybe even into next season when he has close to a regular off season and hopefully isn't dealing with the ramifications of, of COVID still or, or a lingering injury, he could come back next year and look fresh. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Do you have anything to plug? 
Uh, no. Nothing nothing to plug at the moment. They could, if anyone wants to read the nonsense that I'm writing, they can uh, check me out at Bleach Report. And where can we follow you on Twitter? Uh, my name, at Dan Favalli. That's F-A-V-A-L-E. Thank you so much for coming on, Dan. No problem. Thanks for having me, Tommy.